Welcome to Auto Off Topic. Hello, Brad. Hello, Andrew. How are you? Um, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm getting yeah. getting through getting through the week. Getting through the week. It's been it's been a rough one. Yeah, I'm okay as well. Excellent. Getting there. Um, I haven't done much with cars. It's like well, it's a good thing I'm here then. Yeah, because there's just uh, we are deep in winter. Yeah, and so it, it barely snowed, and they salted the crap out of the roads. Yeah, well, it wouldn't be the auto off topic podcast if we didn't have to complain about salt. So no, I am salty about salt. Yeah, I feel like we're like four years in, so that joke has been used at least four times. I'm sure it has. I'm sure it has. I'm salty about your joke repetition. Oh, uh, I mean, speaking of drive, like driving on roads around here that's salty, I was picking up my kid from daycare uh, yesterday afternoon, and I'm driving on this, this big, wide street. It's almost like it could be a four-lane street, but it's only two lanes. Like a residential street, kind of, but like a main street in Peabody. And I'm driving, I'm looking ahead, and there's like four police cruisers, all the lights on, in a row. Oh, that's kind of weird. Where are they going? And then I like not even realize that there was like this black SUV passing cars towards the middle of the road. And I was like, uh, okay. And I like shot over to the side and the guy's just on three tires with just one wheel throwing sparks. Oh, good. <laughs> so I still haven't been able to find, I got to look it up. I haven't found like the police report on it in like yeah. the local news. Yesterday's news was a little, uh, a little taken over by other things. So. I was like, that's different. <laughs> yeah, I had I had that happen to me once many, many years ago. I mean, so long ago, I was still driving my Cutlass. And uh, it was in Salem. And it was a very similar situation where it was nighttime. So I saw the police lights. Um, and I was like looking down the street at the police lights that were coming my way. Right. And then barely missed. It was like a late 80s 300ZX with no headlights on. Uh, on the wrong side of the road, passing cars and like missed me by, you know, I'd, I'd say millimeters, but I'm probably being exaggerative at this point. It was probably, you know, a few feet, but it was definitely one of those like, oh, wait, there's there's another car there. <laughs> but I had no headlights on and my, I was distracted by the flashing lights of all the police chasing him. Yeah. Like I didn't really notice the truck going faster than until like it was like almost on top of me. Yeah. Your attention was taken away by the shiny flashing things. That's unfortunately how that situation works. You get that object, uh, as a word for it, but target target fixation, object fixation. Yeah. Object permanence. Mm, Um, Fixation, I think is the word, but yeah. Oh, it was weird. Yeah. Do you remember when we were kids, the car chase that was on our street? Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't like a seventies Corvette. I think so. It was like big pontoon Corvette and like, it was in like the nineties though. Yeah. Yeah, and, early, and like, early 90s. The guy whipped down the street, and then the cop, knowing that it was a dead end, just stopped. Laughed <laughs> up the street. Yeah, he's like, "Well, he can't go anywhere." Yeah, I I do remember that. That was uh, I haven't thought about that in years. That's funny. We we must have both been outside like playing with RC cars or. No, no, I remember years. being at night. I think, and we were. Like looking at it out the window. It was just big neighborhood news. Yeah. Well, there's been a couple of those in our neighborhood. Remember, there was a a car that they tried to repo. I don't think I was around that day. I think it was at work or something. I heard about it though. Yeah, one of the, the neighbors down the street they tried to repo her car, and again, our street was a dead end, so she could only go one way. And the tow truck like totally blocked her in, and she wound up doing like donuts in my parents' front lawn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tore it all up. And the kid down the street was drunk and drove into the telephone pole in front of my parents house at like two yeah, in the morning that's pretty, that pretty good. good i literally walk. like it the that didn't wake me up but the diesel tow truck woke me up because it was like summertime the windows were open mm-hmm. i somehow slept through the bang of him hitting it and then i looked out and i, I was like oh oh that's him i know what happened and i went back yeah. to bed. <laughs> i know whose truck that is that checks out <laughs> yeah yeah well the good thing is is that this first 10 minutes here of the podcast will be excellent listening for like our dads because they'll remember all these stories too <laughs> yeah. um anyway moving on to more important things um i have car updates yeah 
Um, Did you get a I, Nissan? <laughs> yes, I am currently driving my favorite car of all time, the four-cylinder CVT-equipped Nissan Altima. Um, it's a rental, so nobody get too nervous here. I didn't buy one, obviously. Um, the Volkswagen has been down for about a week so far. For what was I assumed going to be a you know a one day in one day out kind of deal? I don't think you recap this part. You had talked about it acting up, and maybe the check engine light coming on. Yeah, so there was a little bit of acting up, um, and a little chugging that was happening at like a steady RPM, and I had a check engine light, and I forget the code number, you know, P two O four O or something like that. Um, and in whatever the code was in Volkswagen, um, which we have our scan gauge, which I you know have plugged into the car all the time, so it was very easy to read the code. Um, the code, I think I talked about it real quick before because the code came on. I went in for my scheduled service and oil change. Um, while the car was there, the code was off, so they couldn't do anything about it. And then the code came back on like two days later when I was getting ready to leave for a trip to Oklahoma. And I called the dealership and I was like, hey, this code came on. I'm going to Oklahoma. Is everything going to be okay? And the dealership was like, well, I don't want to say yes, but wink, wink, nod, nod. It'll probably be okay. So I drove to Oklahoma and back with the car. Um, fast forward like a month. We're actually heading back to Oklahoma. We have family there. So we have to do some an emergency trip to drop some stuff off. Um so, check engine light's still on. So, like a week before the trip, I had an appointment to get the car into the shop. So, I'd have time to get the car in, uh, get their thing fixed, get it back, and then I wanted to rotate the tires and just kind of do a general check over because it's been, it's been a bit since I've looked closely at the car. Um, so, I dropped it off about a week ago and expected the call back saying, hey, everything's, everything's good, everything's fine. Come pick your car up. But the call instead was, yeah, we're going to need your car for a little bit. To which I said, okay, what is, uh, what's the problem? Well, it needs a DPF, which is the diesel particulate filter in the exhaust. It kind of goes like off the downpipe. Yeah. It's like a little like swirly little piece of pipe with a container in it. Mm-hmm. Um, like, all right, it's cracked. I'm like, okay, that's cool. They're like, and you need an EGR. Okay. And there's another valve associated with the EGR, like an EGR relief valve. I was like, no, mm-hmm. it's some diesel thing. Yep. I was like, okay. Uh, or there's only one EGR valve and he thought it was two parts. I'm not sure, but he, he sold it to me as an EGR and EGR valve. So, yeah. Okay. Um, I was like, okay. That Maybe sounds... it was a solenoid and then a valve is separate. Yeah, possibly. I said, all right, well, that's that sounds simple enough. He's like, well, here's the problem. There's a massive oil leak. It's like, okay, well, it hasn't been dripping anywhere. I was like, and last time check I it. looked, don't you? Regularly, yeah, it's not hasn't yeah. been burning any oil. You know, I haven't checked it since the last road trip when I got back. Um, oh, so it's probably a small leak, but over a long period of time. So it looks when, really I, when bad. I think when I think massive oil leak, I think about you know, old cars that we've owned that go, you know, a hundred miles on a half a court. Like that's a massive oil leak. Yeah. But I think massive oil leak on the scheme of a newer car that's serviced at a dealer, it's probably like, you know, a half a court every thousand miles or something, or maybe even less. So anyway, I, I haven't noticed any additional oil burning. Uh, the car has always burned a little bit of oil ever since I've owned it, but I just figured that was par for the course. You know, it's a 10,000 mile interval at oil changes. So, you know, I check it every thousand or so and make sure. And usually every three or four thousand, I put, you know, a quarter to a half a quart in, which I always accept it as acceptable for a diesel powered or a turbo diesel vehicle. So uh, maybe that's what it is. And it's always been bad. And I never noticed because to me, that seemed acceptable. Doesn't sound that unusual to me. I'm... Yeah. No, and again, like I said, I was, I just lived with it and it's like, yep, oh, that's fine. Just top it off a little bit of oil. I used to keep, you know, a quart bottle of oil in the back. Like, like a little cubby so it wouldn't spill anywhere. And I just figured I was being responsible and checking my oil like a good car owner, you know? Um, but apparently that's a massive oil leak. Um, and they need to figure out where it's coming from, but it's not really leaking out anywhere. 
because nothing is covered in oil. It's like, okay, so what? So we're what are we talking about? And he's like, yeah. well, I have to call uh, VNT and find out. I'm like, all right. Well, I don't know what VNT is, so can you enlighten me? He's like, well, I don't know either. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Who are uh, you calling? It was like, it's Volkswagen. Okay. All right. So people don't realize when you go on a dealership, okay. you talk to a service writer. Nine times out of ten, they're not a car person. It's just when it comes to being a service writer, you just need to be a salesperson. Like you just need to be good at selling people things and have a tangential understanding of car technology. Yeah. Well, so. this guy is kind of a car person. Okay. Um, he has a '80s Corolla. I okay. Think. A couple other things. Anyway. VTA, VTA, VNT. It's some three-letter. Probably something Volkswagen technical assistance or something like something like that. Every yeah. OEM has it for dealers when they their techs can't figure something out. You call the hotline. Mm-hmm. So that's where we're at. So I said, "All right, well, let me know what they say because you know I'm genuinely curious. Like, obviously, it's all going to be a warranty thing because this is a a diesel buyback car, um, and because I bought a diesel buyback car as a certified pre-owned from a dealership." You know, they have the 150,000 mile 10 year warranty on them. Mm. So I'm still I'm like 72,000 miles, which is a lot considering I bought it with like 38 a year and a half ago, but yeah, almost like halfway ago. through the warranty. Yeah, exactly. But at the same time, like, I'm glad I have it because, hey, here we are. It's why it's why I bought the car. I wanted something yeah. I didn't have to worry about so I could fix my fleet of broken junk and have my daily just be my daily, you know. Um. So anyway, he calls back finally and he says, well, here's the problem. He's like, they think the oil leak is inside the turbo. So some kind of internal seal, because an oil-cooled turbo has let go, and it's dumping oil into your exhaust. Yeah. So the little inside the cartridge, the seal on the hot side's gone or whatever. So what's happening is the reason that the diesel particulate filter is bad is because it's full of oil. Oh. Yeah. So this is a funny, ironic story because, you know, friend of the podcast, Joe, with his Subaru this week, had the same issue with uh, Subaru Ringlands where, I hate saying the word Ringlands, Subaru Rings. Um, I hate, why why do they have to call them Ringlands? I don't understand. It's it's where they sit on the piston. I know what it is, but it's the, the Ringland isn't the failure. The ring is the failure, right? I don't know exactly, but something failed. He has anyway, a 13 Outback. Yeah, he's a 13 uh, Outback. And it was a yeah, ring it's got so much, yeah, it's got so much blow-by. He's got, like, no compression in it. Yeah, and it's got so much oil leaked past into the exhaust that it gummed up his cats, which is strange because the car never puffed smoke. Your car apparently didn't either, I, but probably because the DPF caught it. So That I could understand. The the gas engine, I'm like, why is this thing, why didn't he have like a mosquito fogger? I don't understand. That doesn't make any sense. So the one thing that led me to realize that the DPF was the problem in the first place was because there was some black soot in the back of the car. There was a heavy buildup of soot inside the tailpipes. And if I didn't wash the car for like a week of driving it, I would have like a black kind of, kind of a black fog in the back of the car. It wasn't enough that you could see it while you were driving. But it was mm-hmm. enough that it would. It was definitely there, uh, and that's a sign that your DPF is failing. Huh. So, anyway, so that's what that's what they say caused it. But Volkswagen won't allow them to replace the turbo until they've replaced all the other parts, and then cleaned out any oil and see if oil is getting back into the DPF. All right, fair enough. <laughs> so they had to wait three days for the parts, and then put the car together, and then take it all apart again to see where the oil is going. So it sounds like what's going to happen is I'm going to have a new DPF, new EGR, uh, new turbo more than likely, which I'm not sure if it's part of the manifold or not. I don't think it is. I think it's a separate piece. Um, And then they said on top of that, after this is all said and done, there is a TSB for some issue with the computers, and they might have to change the computer in the car. Well. um, Basically, they're going to spend about what I paid for the car (laughs) to fix the car, it sounds like. I mean... Hopefully the uh, tech's getting decent flat rate on this, but sometimes they don't when it's warranty like it. It's, yeah, I, I, at the end of the day, like yeah, I, I hope he does, but I also, yeah. as long as it's paid for, I don't, I don't really care yeah. that much. Um, that's not my issue at that point. So the car's there. You know, they send me the list of everything else that I should do while it's there, but 
you know, it's the typical car dealership way. You need a cabin air filter and an air filter. And then I did those myself like two months ago. So, you know, they don't even look. They just look at mileage. Yeah. But anyway, so that's where we're at right now. So I didn't get the car back in time to take it to Oklahoma this weekend. So Volkswagen, on top of paying all this money to fix my car, also authorizes $35 a day rental car for any of the diesel car owners. So they sent me to Enterprise and said, get you know the car for 35 bucks and be on your way. So we drove over there and the whole way there, I was like, please don't be an Altima. Please don't be an Altima. Please don't be an Altima. <laughs> so obviously I got an Altima. Um, but it is what it is. They've, the Altos have come a long way, I'll tell you that, from the one I rented 10 years ago. So, Hey, it's probably got CarPlay and all the good stuff. I don't know that it has CarPlay. I didn't look because I don't have an Apple phone. Well, but, it should uh, have Android Auto. Does it have a, a touchscreen? I don't think it has Android Auto. I think it has a normal like automotive interface. So is it plug- like a a video screen? Like a actual like, or is it like a, like a dot matrix radio? It doesn't look any more fancy than one of my thirteen Jetta. It's like three colors: white, red, and gray. Oh, uh, okay. No, yeah. it might not then. Could be some rental spec thing. I mean, yeah. it's got heated seats, heated steering wheel, the whole nine. But I don't think it has. It doesn't look like an Android screen or an Apple screen. It looks like a standard, their own screen kind of deal. So I don't think it has that. But it was easy to hook, easy enough to hook my Bluetooth into it. I hooked it up before even leaving the parking lot. So, but yeah, it's, it's a bit. Put the USB in, see what happens. Oh, okay. Well, I can't do that because my phone doesn't. Oh, I guess the, the charging port. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I don't know. I'll look into it. I'm not worried about it. I only have it for like four days, so it doesn't matter at the end of the day. The one thing I did notice about the car in uh, Brad's unimportant car reviews is I've driven cars with heated steering wheels before. I love them. Like Most a BMW, Nissan's. Audi, um, this is the first Nissan I've driven, uh, and it's garbage in comparison. Oh, really? The Infiniti i30s I used to drive around the dealership, that steering wheel would burn your hands off. Well, I'm not talking about the temperature of it. I'm talking about the consistency of it. So it's not steady the whole way around the steering wheel. Like anywhere a spoke meets the wheel, it's cold. Do you hold it? Do you hold the steering wheel at the spokes? Uh, in this car, yeah. Yeah, you, know, you have to adjust where you hold your hands to uh, make it warm there. I mean, I mostly hold like I'm at like seven full on Vin like Diesel three seat laid back hand at twelve o'clock. No, plenty warm there. No, but at like the you know the typical like you know the standard old school ten and two, it's not it's not as hot as it is at eleven and one, and it's ice cold at six o'clock. Why would you oh, hold it down there? I wouldn't. But I was just once I found the cold spots, I was like, you know, searching around for more cold spots. However, you would never hold it at six o'clock anyway because it's also a D-shaped steering wheel. Everything, a lot of modern stuff is D-shaped, it but doesn't it doesn't. It doesn't bother me though. Uh, I don't even I don't, notice it in my Volkswagen anymore. I don't, you don't like have it. To, you hardly have to turn the steering wheel that much during normal driving, so it just gives you more space for your legs. I don't know. I've never space for my legs has never been an issue that I've had to worry about. So I don't. Well, I don't if like you're it. like a shorter person, I could see it. Like Stephanie has to pull the seat up sometimes, so I would, I would see that being useful. Mm, I don't know. Either way, I don't. I'm I'm not a fan of it. It's just me being curmudgeonly. Probably, it probably doesn't matter at the end of the day. I just prefer a full normal round steering wheel. But whatever. I'm not going to do much of a review of this car. We already know how we feel about the. Four cylinder CVT equipped Altimus. So it's uh, a car that will get decent fuel mileage and somewhat comfort going back and forth to Oklahoma. So that's all I care about. And I'm not putting miles on Naomi's car because, you know, her Hyundai's got like 230,000 miles on it and it probably would be fine. But at the end of the day, it's, you know, midwinter and we're driving into Oklahoma. So I'd rather just have the security of a almost brand new car than her 230,000 mile Hyundai. So that's where I'm at with that. All right. So old cars, haven't you done some stuff to the Colt? I have. Um, This is a story of 
the right tool goes a long way to make the job go easier. So before I shipped the car out here, the rear tailpipe had fallen off. It was a welded on like slip fit part. Mm -hmm. And it just, the moisture inside the exhaust coupled with the moisture outside the car in New England, it rotted off at the joint. So it wasn't loud or anything. It almost looked like a turn down over the axle. So I just, it was after the muffler. So I never really worried about it. But what I realized driving the car out here is that when you give it any kind of heavy acceleration, the cabin would fill up with fumes. So it never really noticed it driving it in New England, probably because it wasn't like never really drove it in the highway there. But out here, the main roads are 55 miles an hour. So you're accelerating a little more than you do in New England, I guess. Um, so it was stinky and hard to drive in situations uh, like that. So I wanted to put the tailpipe back on, which seems like it's a two second job, right? Well, I don't have a welder. I'm not confident in my welding if I did have a welder, but the reason I'm not confident in my welding is because I don't have a welder. So I need to eventually get a welder so I can become more proficient in welding. Mm -hmm. But at the moment, I don't have a welder. Um, so I wanted to join the two pieces together. There is a mount on the pipe, like midway down the pipe that goes to the frame rail. So it was already supported towards the back of the car. I just needed to support it where the two pipes meet together. The one that comes up and over the rear axle and the one that goes into the tailpipe. Right. So I went to the store and I was like, all right, here's this neat little sleeve. I'll just pick this up. It's like a, its own little clamp. It comes with a sealer. I'll put that in there. It'll hold the whole thing together. It'll be fine. Well, it didn't work, obviously, because it doesn't have enough clamping force to hold the two pipes together, which in my brain, obviously it did, but obviously it doesn't. So the next move is the slip fit joints. You know, they're we have an inch and a half pipe. This is like, you know, an inch and a little more than a half to go over it to kind of put the two pieces of pipe together. So I got one of those and a couple of clamps and I was trying to clamp them together, but I couldn't produce enough torque to crush the pipe to make the joint between the front and the back and to crush that pipe down enough to hold it in place. So I was doing two things wrong, but one lesson that I've learned about myself a long time ago is that once things start going wrong, if I don't either stop, turn around and come back to it later, or just put it away entirely and get back a whole another day, I'm going to get unreasonably frustrated and angry. So knowing this, I didn't stop. I kept pushing and I got angry. And I got frustrated and I put the whole project away for like two days because I couldn't produce enough torque with the small hand tools that I had outside with me to crush down that clamp on the exhaust and also hold it in place at the same time. So after not doing it and then the next day I could have done it, but something else came up and I just didn't do it. So two days later, I came back to it. I took that tailpipe and I went into the garage and I said, I'm going to put this one end on the tailpipe on the bench so that I'm not trying to put both pieces on under the car. Uh -huh. And I have that nice uh, Milwaukee Impact gun. I'll use that instead of hand tools. So I didn't have the correct metric sockets, so I had to make a quick trip down to uh, Harbor Freight and pick up the metric um, impact sockets. So I have those now. I put the one half on on the bench. It took like three minutes. Um, I walked out to the car. I bolted up the part with the hanger, slid the other part over the back part of the pipe, did it under the car with that Milwaukee impact. It took like two minutes, and the entire job was done in like five minutes hmm. because I had the right tools to do the job the right way. So and the beginning part of the story that I missed altogether was I finally bought a nice jack. Because before I had two jack stands and I had, it wasn't a scissor jack, like a, like a Widowmaker style scissor jack, like a spare tire jack, but it was a narrow kind of, I don't even know what you'd call it. It was a two ton pump jack, but it was really narrow and it didn't go very high and it didn't reach very far in. So it was, you're really limited with how much space you had to use it. So I finally bought, they had a special 
at Hour Freight actually on their aluminum racing jacks they have there, the blue and silver ones. So mm-hmm. I got the two and a half ton one for like $115. So having a nice jack to lift the car up nice and high and put the stands under was also a uh, a, a good move. So yeah, have, having the right tools makes the whole job go a lot faster. But so something that took me ultimately five minutes to repair took me three days at the car on jack stands in the driveway because oh, fun. my attitude and my ill-preparedness going into it in the first place. So lesson learned. You know, patience. I know I don't have any. I need to push myself to have more patience. Be more patient with my lack of patience, I guess. But it's one of those things. It's I've I've always I've always had that that in the back of my head that I know if I don't get this right, I'm not going to reasonably work through it. I'm just gonna get frustrated and throw things and walk away. So true to my nature, that's what I did. And then two days later, I came back thinking about it like. This is how it's going to work, and it worked. So I took the car for a nice drive around the neighborhood, you know, gave it a couple of full throttle passes and no exhaust fumes in the car. So mission accomplished. You can drive the car again. Cool. That's really it. I didn't do anything else. I wiped it down. <laughs> now we're going away, so I put it away for put it away for the weekend. Nice. How about yeah. I haven't worked on anything else. Oh, actually I did. More daily daily car maintenance. Uh Naomi's Hyundai, that same two hundred and thirty thousand miles Sonata we were just talking about. Mm-hmm. I had a taillight bulb out. And Ooh. I just said, All right, I'll put a taillight bulb in it. I put a taillight bulb in it and did not fix the problem. Oh. Huh. Yeah. Huh. So now I had to diagnose what was going on with this taillight. So I pulled it all apart, I looked at all the connections. All the wires are good. It's not burnt. There's no obvious signs. Um, I put the taillight bulb back in, twisted it down, and a taillight came on. And I was like, all right, that's interesting. So I went to touch it, and it shut off again. So I'm like, all right, there's obviously a loose wire somewhere. You know, this is a 2011 Sonata living in the desert. Maybe something got dry rotted and broke. Um, but apparently, I learned that if you push down on the bulb, it turned on, and you let go, and it sprung back up, and it turned off again. So at some point, probably the last bulb that was in there, maybe like the little diode on the bottom was too deep and it crushed the contact point in the bottom of the socket. Oh, just, just pull it out. Yeah, so I was able to pull it up and just get it. I was, I was happy the diagnosis was like a two-minute process. but uh, Results. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I said, well, bad news. Your car needs a socket, I think. Well, to fix it came. I was like, good news. I fixed it in two minutes because I'm an expert level mechanic. <laughs> But yeah, so mechanic, mechanic. <laughs> yes, I saw the second I said it, I saw that same meme in my head. So, but that's it. I haven't done much else car wise. Um, it's been busy doing other things with work, and I have been watching Dakar. Dakar is going on right now. Yeah, you know, I watched the first uh, recap episode. And then I think my DVR messed up and it hasn't been recording them. I'll have to go back and look for them. So they're the, on demand. Uh, the official Dakar channel on YouTube. Yeah. Um, what they've been doing is a daily update class by class. And they're Ooh, about five. Better. Yeah, they're about five minutes long. Um, but they have one for the trucks, one for the cars, one for the light vehicles, and then one for motorcycles and quads. And then one for classic. So the classic I, is cool because it's a basically a TSD. Yeah, I was trying to explain that to somebody the other day, um, but it's not its not as exciting to them when they find out they're not going, you know, balls out. To yeah, but it's limited to vehicles bef- that were built before 2000 and, and run into car before 2000. So that's right. basically like the only limitation of the class. So there's no there's no classing well, with like performance. Right, so, so you have you, a seventy-nine you, vehicle versus a two thousand vehicle wouldn't yeah, be a fair. So, yeah, so unless unless of course it's a TSD, and then it's all about being on time. So they they of course call it a regularity reality, which is the same exact thing. It's just a the, like the British term for it. Right. It's but interesting yeah. to see it though because it's it's definitely it's definitely cool because the first year for it. Yeah, um, it's a little difficult being you know our age and looking at the vintage Dakar as the, you know, Pajero Evo, but that's, 
I guess it is all, all part of getting older. <laughs> and then I don't, I got to look into these things. I don't know what Loeb is running some car I've never heard of. And some other, one of the other top drivers is running it too. Yeah. I forget the name of it is it's like some random manufacturer. I don't know. And then Carlos Sainz was, was leading at one point when I saw it. He's in the mini, mini, right? Yeah. But I think he is in the four, four by four mini. And then Thierry, not Thierry Neuvel, um, Petter Hansel is in like the tool drive mini, which is more like a buggy. But that's what's kind of crazy is that like some of them are just tool drive and they just float over these dunes like nothing. But it's pretty cool. Yeah, no, they're, they're super cool. I don't know what the vehicle is. I'm trying to look it up right now because I was interested the other day when I was. Watching it sounded like all it was tap dance in there. All that was that was all he tap dancing right there. Yes, <laughs> Naomi came in to get the rental car keys for me, and all he was obviously following. Apologize. All right, I don't know what it is. It's not, it's not coming right up. That's all right. It's a super um, neat looking buggy. Like all, all the buggies have gone completely off the rails now. Like I think it was probably like 2013 or so, or 2012 or so, where they started to really go. They don't look like production cars at all anymore. No, it's cars is a very wide class because it's mostly like you'll have this four by four mini that doesn't exist anywhere other than the car. Then you have um, the Toyota trucks, which sort of look like Toyota trucks. Kind of, but they're like they're like a box that has like yeah. the the look of a Toyota truck nose on it and yeah. like a Honda Ridgeline size bed. It's a weird yeah, really it well, it's like how the you know the Piero Evo was with the the weird box in the back. Yeah, I guess those just, '80s ones kind of had that same look to them, didn't they? Yeah, and when you look at the Mitsubishi Motorsports books I have, they basically filled that space with spares. So the vehicle Loeb is driving is the BRX One. Yes, it's a joint venture between ProDrive. Okay, and the. Bahrain Sovereign Fund. Okay. So it's it's ProDrive and oil money. Yeah. Decided to, decided to compete, so. Yeah, weird. And then um, it's also weird to me that there's like factory RZR teams. Yeah, they call those light cars. Because it doesn't, the car doesn't register in the United States at all, like barely a blip. So I, I assume worldwide there's a market for side-by-sides other than u.s i mean you say that doesn't register in the u.s more than a blip but you haven't been to places where it's a thing well i mean not yeah, a lot in, of people... in your bubble in boston nobody has a side-by-side no 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 i mean in the united states dakar doesn't mean much oh oh, oh okay i was that's thinking the other way around yeah, that's why it's You're odd to me. because the U.S. is the main market you would think for a side by side. For side by side, so why you would yeah. bother racing them into car? I don't think it is right it's now. Interesting. Yeah. I think that they're definitely a rich people's play toy, um, and this event is being run in Saudi Arabia. This is true, which is where the rich people go to play. <laughs> so and tons of desert. They just the videos of yeah. them running out in the desert. Yeah, I'm not like I'm, we all know my. Mine and yours feelings on side by sides. Mine have changed a little bit since driving one, um, but this is a use case where it makes sense, and I don't have an issue with it because they're in their own class. Yeah, you know, they already run motorcycles. They already run quads, so I don't have an issue adding side by sides. I'd have an issue if they're competing against cars or trucks or whatever. I'm kind of meh on quads, but um, yeah, it is I'm watching, it but. I, I mean, what I enjoy is the cars, the heavy trucks, and then when you watch the the best riders on those motorcycles, it's beautiful to watch them. Like, yeah, they dance. Yeah. No, no question. Yeah, the, the big trucks. Go up, up and over dunes and like <laughs> over it, like just, I mean, they're whipping so fast. The, and uh, like, the big trucks and the motorcycles are probably my two favorites. So. Yeah. And then the classic this year because it's it's just it's just cool, it fits my aesthetic of things. Motorcycle has to be insane. It has to just kill you, like just physically, because you're just you're up and down on the bike, you're forward, you're back, you're balancing. Eleven days. (laughs) Yeah, 
you fall off, you're lifting the thing up and they're not light bikes either. Those are heavier. They're not like a dirt bike. They're like a heavy cross country bike. Yeah. Oh no, they don't. They're not, they're not light. That's for sure. No. And they're very top heavy on top of it. Yeah. Cause all the, they have a, I think a larger fuel tank than, a, than what a dirt bike would have, obviously. So you can go farther. And then the guy's trying to like, you know, fix him in the middle of the stage and the clutch goes in the middle of a sand dune. That doesn't sound fun. Yeah. No, thank you. All right, so right now we're midway through run day five. Um, I was trying to get the standings. So the Toyota right now is leading. The Nasser Bra- Altia? No, Brav, uh, Janil De Villers, De Villers, and Alex Bravo. No, I don't recognize it. So they're winning by a minute. That's over- not a lot. No. No, I'm not sure which team Sentry Racing is, which is Baragawanath and Ty Perry. So it's it's a really close race between. I mean, it's interesting because the first week, you There's know, a 10 lot minutes of the, surrounding the top eight. Yeah. In the first week, a lot of the guys that are past winners can often be a little further down. And by the end of the first week, some of the the challengers that are trying to run faster either end up breaking or they wrecking. Oh, they the guys that are one, yeah, they end up moving up towards the end. Like it's a, it's a, it's quite a game of a race. Well, you, you got to think that right now, you know, we're talking about Sebastian Loeb. Um, he's five hours and forty nine minutes, five hours and forty nine minutes behind. Yeah, um, and that's not a number that can't be overcome. You know, because these stages are super long, and there's you know. Five hours can be made up in one flat tire situation somewhere. You know, they could have issues and get stuck for four hours or five hours. And, you know, it's not, yeah, five hours is not a, a doesn't mean they're out. You know, they're no, talking about, not in the first week. <laughs> yeah. They were talking about some of the teams that had like three flat tires in the first day. I think Carlos Sainz is one of them. Um, he's also five hours back, but that first day he had three flat tires. So they carry three spares. So for the end of the stage, he had to run conservative and slow because he blew it on the tire. He would DNF that first stage. Yeah. So that all that kind of goes comes into play as, yeah, these guys are five hours behind, but they've already had these issues that maybe these other guys haven't had yet. So it's definitely... And the other thing too, if you get... When you end up uh, leading, I think they make you open the next day. Mm-hmm. So sometimes people will avoid opening... Because they because, want some kind of a guide or tracks. Yeah, yeah. You're looking for tracks, and you know it's basically like you know sweeping the road, so to speak. Well, so, that yeah. happened um, on day one in the bike category. The team Honda went out first. Yeah, Ricky Brayback. Yeah, and he got lost. Yeah. So, and his teammate was right with him, also getting lost. So they yeah. wound up back pretty far. Yeah, it's incredibly difficult. It's like, I mean, we talk about this. It's it's got to be the most difficult motorsport event ever. Yeah, yeah. We talk about how frustrated we get just doing a, you know, TSD rally. Yeah, and you know where, where in one night we're already frustrated that we're that far behind. I apologize. Loeb is an hour behind. His total time is five hours and a half. But yeah, still, so still an hour is hour nothing. Behind. Yeah, it's still nothing. That, that can be made up again with just some flat tire issues along the way. So, but it's neat. And uh, the good thing is, is that no matter when this podcast comes out, the YouTube videos will be up there. So mm. you can start and they, they put up every day and it will say um, Dakar cars day one, Dakar trucks day two. So you can go in and you can watch it in sequence, like it's happening right now. If you don't know what, what happened in the end and kind of, keep up with it that way and it's it's super entertaining and you know it used to be so hard to to follow this kind of motorsport because there was no coverage for it but in the the age of youtube and the internet you know it gets updated daily so check it out and watch it and there's also a few i noticed um team channels like you know the red bull team has their own channel with their own footage and Mm -hmm. toyota racing has their own and so there's there's tons of footage out there and it's really neat and the cool thing is when they do the history the the historic class they usually pepper in some historic footage of the cars 
being that's run cool. in being run in era. So that's pretty neat too. Like they showed the Porsche, some of the Monteros, excuse me, the Pajeros. Um, there's a couple of buggies out there that ran in the early days. So it's really neat coverage, and uh, you know it happens once a year. So I'll watch it. <laughs> I enjoy it. Highly recommended. Yeah, the Porsche is cool because it's being driven by an American uh, woman, Amy Lerner. Okay. Was she the one that was the first woman to win a stage since like the 90s? Oh, no, I don't I don't think so. No, she's just uh she's just driving the historic 911. Oh, the the listing doesn't give their names. It doesn't give the car. It says that the you say first place right now, the make model, it says Team Sunhill. I'm like, okay, well, that doesn't tell me who it is. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know the teams well enough. But, oh, well. So you've been posting diecast dailies, I see. Yes. Yep. Um, people really enjoy that. I actually, I don't know, I, you probably mentioned to me, and then I kind of missed it, and then I realized it was available still because it is a limited is sure. the um, Tarmac Works uh, Tommy Mackin edition Evo 6? It just came out, so it's limited, but they're in their first, re- they're in the initial release, so it's not old yet. Yeah, so it just came out the end of 2020 because it made it to the couple lists of, of best castings of 2020, I think. Because mm-hmm. I don't think they had a 6 out before, they had a 10. Uh, they definitely had the 6 before, but that's okay. Oh, okay. It might have been best new release of that casting, but I have a couple of tarmac sixes. There's a, uh, you know what? Maybe they're maybe they're fives. I have to go look at it. Maybe the six is a new casting. So I did my top five castings of 2020 last week, Mm -hmm. but I didn't put any Mitsubishi's in the list because there are so many good Mitsubishi releases this year that I'm doing that. Um, you know, these are top five. They're top five that I bought but I also would have bought my favorites. So anything that I wanted this year would be in my top five, right? So yeah. last week I did the top five. If you go to our Instagram page, um, I made sure to put the stories themselves in a highlight reel. So if you go to the main page and you go to, um, they call them highlights, I think, right over the main pictures. Yeah. So you can click through the entire Diecast Daily from the first one I did like a month ago, three weeks ago, mm-hmm. up until the current, which is, you know, let's say Thursday the 7th. Yeah. So you can go up right through there. So I did my top five, which uh, what I did, well, I did a Christmas week, which was interesting because I had enough diecast themed, Christmas <laughs> yeah. themed diecast. Yeah, you nerd. <laughs> yeah, well, what do you want from me? Like content or not, all right? I knew it was going to come in handy someday. So out of my top five diecasts of 2020 that were not Mitsubishi's, um, the Tomica Limited Vintage Neo, which is their limited vintage line of cars that are, you know, newer than I think like 85, um, had the Mazda RX-7 FC3S. So that's the second gen RX-7. Um, it's the FC3, so it's the later model with the slight facelift with the body color rub strips and the round taillights. Um, day two, I had the Hobby Japan 164 scale AE86, which mm-hmm. Hobby Japan is a fairly new manufacturer to 164th. I think they did a bunch of 143rd. I think actually you have a 143rd Gallant VR4. That's from the same manufacturer, but they go yeah. by uh, Mark 43. Yeah, that came out this year. Yep, it's the same parent company. Should do a picture of that. So, um, the third day was the uh, Inno 64 190E DTM car. Um, the Zaxby Green and Gold, which is uh, one of my absolute favorite race cars of all time. Um, number four was the R32 in the HKS livery. You know, race car number 87, I think it's from 90, 1992. Uh, but that HKS livery is just like iconic with the purple, yep, even red splashes all over the car, the green headlights, the red mirrors, super cool car. 
And then the final one, the top one of the year I had uh, is the uh, um, Pop Race, which I think is a Tarmac Works and Inno collaboration company. Um, they did the Volvo 850 in a street uh, T5 wagon and a streetcar and a race car. So I put mm. them both on one release. So obviously it's the BTCC, you know, three-tone blue and white um, wagon race car. And the wagon in the iconic yellow, I don't know, what the, it was like a daffodil yellow. I don't know what the name of the color was. But the, the wagon's also available in red and I think white. I just wanted the yellow one. <laughs> so, yeah, but this week I'm doing top five Mitsubishi castings of 2020. We can do a quick review of those next week once they've all been done, but still a couple days left when this comes out. So we'll uh, have those up and, and keep going through it. And I'm excited to see what 2021 is going to bring for diecast stuff. We're, we're kind of, they're saying we're in a golden era of 164th scale diecast. They're pretty good. Yeah, like they're, they're very good. I'm just looking at the ones on my desk. They're they're all coming out now. There's a bunch of manufacturers that are doing them. Um, they're super neat. Uh, they're I mean, if you look at a picture without any sense of scale, you'd be hard pressed to know it was one sixty fourth because they're like more forty third. They're more detailed than a forty third from 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. So I mean, Tomica started this with the Tomica Limited Vintage line, but now you have you know Kyosho was involved for a while. Um, what's the video company, video, video game company, Konami, Konami made them for a few years. Hmm. Um, and now you have the Tarmac works and the NO 64s and the pop race and the mini GTs. And there's just, there's so many of them coming out right now. Uh, para 64, which one of the Mitsubishi's that I put up for this week was, um, they're just, there's so many new manufacturers. Most of them are based out of like Taiwan and China. Um, what I've learned is that it's so expensive to own cars in the, that part of the world. That car enthusiasm is shown through scale models and RC cars more than anything else. That explains Yeah. So I they, see that. Yep. Yeah. They can't own real cars or they can't own more than one economy car. So they, they show their, their passion by making replicas of those, which is why all these cars are coming from that region. Um, hmm. And that's why you're seeing a lot of the iconic stuff. And part of the reason that there were so many 2020 released Mitsubishi castings is, you know, Mitsubishi is a huge manufacturer in that part of the world. So hmm. their history is very important to them. And it's it's neat that we're now just getting these castings of cars that you would think you wouldn't be getting. Like, you know, I, I guess I could say it. The, my top release of 2020 for Mitsubishi and for everything is a flat body Starion in one sixty four scale. Yeah. Like to to think that in twenty twenty somebody's making a nineteen eighty four Mitsubishi Starion diecast. Um and they're selling. You know, they're not they're not just sitting on shelves. People want these things. So they're uh we're definitely in a in a in a new era of diecast and you know I've pretty much stopped buying Hot Wheels stuff. I've only gone to this because why why have the Hot Wheels stuff where it's not nearly as nice when I can have this exact scale replica of something in the same size. So, so. I bought, uh, you sent me a thing because I, I use Canon cameras and I always like the 962 Porsche with the Canon livery. Mm-hmm. Actually, I have the Tamiya kit. I haven't built it yet. Surprise. Okay. Um, but it, it was like, it's like Sparky, like 164 so or something. Spark, Spark models. Spark models. Um, yep. And their 164th range is called Sparky. Okay. And the book was a little spark plug guy with like arms and you know a face. So it was on a website called Diecast Talk, and I ordered it December second, and I haven't gotten it. Seriously. And I haven't gotten any tracking updates, anything. I sent them an email, like <laughs> forwarded my confirmation email back to their Gmail address. They've heard nothing. Well, they have a um, Instagram page and a Twitter account. That would probably be, I bet they would respond quickly there. Yeah, it's either that or I'm going to file a PayPal claim. That's super annoying. For my for my 12 bucks. Yeah, that's super annoying. I wonder if my diecast source has one, if you can't get it from them. Because when now when I go back to that website, it says it's sold out, but it wasn't sold out when I bought it. Right. So I wonder if they oversold them. Oh, that would be annoying. Hmm. 
I mean, it's it's also it's annoying, but it's only twelve dollars. But also, you can just refund me for the twelve dollars. Yeah, I won't be mad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I I have the the new the new man yellow and black Porsche from that series. Yeah, the nine six two. So you won't be disappointed if you ever get it. It's a really nice little car. But yeah, that's that's super annoying, and I feel bad because I forwarded you that link because it was on sale. <laughs> yeah, I was like, hey, we need this. Hmm. I've never bought anything from them, so I just saw the link and saw it was on sale, and I know people who have used them, so I figured it was okay. Yeah, usually they don't. It seems legit. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah, they're they're a U.S.-based store. They're not like some fly-by-night internet store. Yeah, they're in there. I'll stock them later. Yeah, no, I would definitely look into that. They have have like a podcast, and (laughs) like they're pretty Hmm. active, so... Hmm. It's funny because I considered ordering the Evo 8 that they have, um, but then I stopped myself because I don't want to spend that much on a 164 scale car. <laughs> so, good to know. I'll have to... Yeah, I, I feel bad. Sorry about that. Yeah, I'll figure it out. Poor choice, Brad. Poor choice. All right, cool. Anything else? I don't think so. Hopefully I'll have some more stuff next week. We're going to Oklahoma. Uh, there's a motorcycle museum on Route 66 that is in our itinerary. Oh. Uh, so hopefully, I'll get to check that out. Cool. Um, yeah. So, you can follow us on Out Off Topic Podcast on Facebook, Out Off Topic on Instagram, Out Off Topic on Twitter. Uh, you can follow me, Race and Anger, on Instagram. Uh, Brad, where can they find you? They can find me on Instagram at TSISS350. Cool. As always, keep cars analog and aim for the roses. Mm-hmm.